Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. I'm Brad Constantine, and this episode is going to be regarding 2 Nephi chapter 3. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to just ask a question, something to think about through the rest of the lesson. And we know that the Jews are waiting for the Messiah to come. Are they waiting for anyone else? Are they waiting for anyone prior to the Savior's or the Messiah's coming? So I'll be thinking about that, and we'll get into that. Now, today's discussion is going to be the blessing that Lehi gives to his youngest son, Joseph. And so I want to read a couple things here first from... Um, Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessing that he received from his father. It says, I bless thee with the blessings of thy fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even the blessings of thy father Joseph, the son of Jacob. Behold, he looked after his posterity in the last days when they should be scattered and driven by the Gentiles and wept before the Lord. He sought diligently to know from whence the son should come who, could, who should bring forth the word of the Lord, by which they might be enlightened and brought back to the true fold. And his eyes beheld thee, my son, his heart rejoiced, and his soul was satisfied. And he said, As my blessings are to extend to the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills, as my father's blessing prevailed over the blessings of his progenitors, and as my branches are to run over the wall, and my seed are to inherit the choice land whereon the Zion of God shall stand in the last days, from among my seeds, scattered from the Gentiles, shall a choice seer arise, whose heart shall shall meditate great wisdom, and whose intelligence shall circumscribe and comprehend the deep things of God, and whose mouth shall utter the law of the just, and he shall feed upon the heritage of Jacob his father. Thou, Joseph Smith, Jr., shall hold the keys of this ministry, even the presidency of this church, both in time and in eternity, and thou shalt stand on Mount Zion when the tribes of Jacob come shouting from the north, and with thy brethren, the sons of Ephraim, crown them in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's from uh, Joseph's patriarchal blessing uh, that he received from his father. And that's uh, written in a book entitled Saviors on Mount Zion by Archibald F. Bennett. So let's get into chapter 3 of 2 Nephi, verse 1. And now I speak unto you, Joseph, my last born. Thou wast born in the wilderness of mine afflictions. Yea, in the days of my greatest sorrow did thy mother bear thee. And may the Lord consecrate also unto thee this land, which is a most precious land for thine inheritance and the inheritance of thy seed with thy brethren, for thy security forever, if it so be that ye shall keep the commandments of the Holy One of Israel. And now, Joseph, my lastborn, whom I have brought out of the wilderness of mine afflictions, may the Lord bless thee forever, for thy seed shall not utterly be destroyed. Remember that when uh, the Nephites and the Lamanites uh, have peace following the visit of the Savior, um, it's not, at that time, the Nephites and the Lamanites mingle. They, they intermarry with each other and uh, because they're living in peace and harmony with everybody. Later on, around three or 400 AD, is when the Nephites and the Lamanites began to distinguish themselves again. But it wasn't because of the families that they belonged to, but it was righteousness or wickedness. So the righteous were called the Nephites and the wicked were called the Lamanites. But it was a mixture of all the races at that time, of all the families at that time. 
So there's not any way actually now to be able to distinguish between who's a Nephite, who's a Jacobite or Josephite or Lamanite. Um, so it's not possible to do that anymore. Um, so anyway, he's saying here that Joseph's seed is going to continue all the way down to our time. And that's because they all intermingled at the same time. Um, if the Nephites were destroyed in AD 35, how could the descendants of Joseph, presumably numbered with the Nephites, have survived this great battle? So remember that uh, they, it's because they intermingled uh, with each other, and so now they're not distinguished by, by family so much. Verse 4, For behold, thou art the fruit of my loins, and I am a, a descendant of Joseph. It's not until we get to Alma chapter 10, verse 3, that we learn that Lehi was a descendant of Manasseh. Joseph's son. Lehi's descent through Joseph is crucial to understanding the, the prophecies of Joseph regarding the family of Lehi. It is also crucial to the stick of Joseph doctrine found in Ezekiel chapter 37. Continuing verse 4, who was carried captive into Egypt and great were the covenants of the Lord which he made unto Joseph. Lehi here is drawing from the plates of brass. Verse 5, wherefore Joseph truly saw our day a conclusion which can be drawn from our version of the Old Testament is that Joseph's father, Jacob, had seen Lehi's day. This is evident in the patriarchal blessings which Jacob gave to his 12 sons. When speaking to Joseph, he said, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. Lehi's family was this branch which ran over the wall. The Grand Richards taught that the wall, or a great barrier in, those, in ancient days, was the ocean which separated the continental masses. Elder Richards also makes it clear that the phrase utmost boundaries of the everlasting hills spoken of in Genesis 49:26, has reference to the Rocky Mountains of North and South America. Continuing verse five, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins, the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch or Lehi's family unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off. Nevertheless, to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit of power unto the bringing of them out of darkness into light, yea, out of hidden darkness and out of captivity unto freedom. For Joseph truly testified, saying, A seer, and we know that that's Joseph Smith, who is the head of this dispensation and who still presides over this dispensation, shall the Lord my God raise up, who shall be a choice seer unto the fruit of my loins. Brigham Young said, It was decreed in the councils of eternity, long before the foundations of the earth were laid, that he, Joseph Smith, should be the man in the last dispensation of this world to bring forth the word of God to the people and receive the fullness of the keys and power of the priesthood of the Son of God. The Lord had his eyes upon him and upon his father and upon his father's father and upon their progenitors clear back to Abraham and from Abraham to the flood and from the flood to Enoch and from Enoch to Adam. He has watched that family and that blood as it has circulated from its fountain to the birth of that man. He was foreordained in eternity to preside over this last dispensation. Also, Joseph Smith taught or brought us the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and many other writings. As far as our records show, he has given us more revealed truth than any prophet who has ever lived upon the face of the earth. And that's from the Grand Richards. Also viewing the life of Joseph of Egypt as a type foretelling the destiny of his tribe in the last days, as it centers in the experiences of Joseph Smith, there are about 21 um, similarities between Joseph who was sold into Egypt and Joseph Smith. I'm not going to go through all of them because there's, there, that would take up too much time, but this is written by Joseph Fielding McConkie in a book called Gospel Symbolism. 
and he outlines here 21 different things that show how similar Joseph is uh, from Joseph Smith and Joseph of Egypt. I'm going to just read you a couple. First one, because they have forsaken the true way, the older brothers, that is the Christian churches, have lost the spiritual birthright. The great evidence of this is that the Lord no longer speaks to them. So as Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, was forsaken by his brothers, uh, Joseph Smith was forsaken by the brothers of the Christian churches at his time. Number two, the birthright is then given to the youthful Joseph, Joseph Smith, and the tribe of Joseph. Evidencing this, the Lord speaks freely to both. The world has never known a more prolific prophet, one who has recorded more revelation than the prophet Joseph Smith. So I'm not going to go through the rest of them, but there's uh, 21 different things that show similarities between Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, and Joseph Smith. It's uh, interesting to read. Verse 7, Yea, Joseph truly said, Thus saith the Lord unto me, A choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. Um, I'll come back to this after, uh, as we get to the end of the lesson. Verse 8, And I will give unto him a commandment that he shall do none other work, Save the work which I shall command him, and I will make him great in mine eyes, for he shall do my work. In other words, establishing the kingdom of God on earth and bringing forth the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and so on. Verse 9, And he shall be great like unto Moses, whom I have said, I would raise up unto you to deliver my people, O house of Israel. Joseph delivers men from spiritual darkness by giving new scriptures and restoring the fullness of the gospel. And Moses will I raise up to deliver thy people out of the land of Egypt. But a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give power to bring forth any word, or bring forth my word unto the seed of, of thy loins. And not to the bringing forth my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have been, which shall have already gone forth among them. The Book of Mormon has been given as tangible proof that the Bible is true and that Joseph Smith is a prophet. From the doctrinal commentary of the Book of Mormon, when we use the Book of Mormon in preference to the Bible in teaching the gospel to those not of our faith, it, is, it has the effect of removing us from the arena of argument over the meaning of Bible texts. To center attention on the Book of Mormon is to pursue a path which leads to the sacred grove, that place where the heavens are opened and sure answers given to the honest truth seeker. It is only when the Bible and Book of Mormon are used as one that we gain the power to confound false doctrines and bring an end to contentions and establish the pure peace of the gospel. Verse 12, Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall, notice that this is not a conditional prophecy, this will happen. The fruit of thy loins shall write, meaning the Book of Mormon, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write, meaning the Bible, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah shall grow together. And for this purpose, for the, unto the confounding of false doctrines, Two, laying, of laying down of contentions. Three, establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins. Four, bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days. And also five, to the knowledge of my covenants, saith the Lord. The stick or record of Judah, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the stick or record of Ephraim is the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ, are now woven together in such a way that as you pour over one, you are drawn to the other. As you learn from one, you are enlightened by the other. They are indeed one in our hands. Ezekiel's prophecy now stands fulfilled. And that was Boyd K. Packer in 1982. Verse 13, And out of weakness he shall be made strong in that day when my work shall commence among all my people, unto the restoring thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. 
Now, in talking about Joseph Smith and his abilities, notice that it says that he's going to be, uh, it says, out of weakness shall he be made strong. This quote from uh, Emma Smith. Joseph Smith, as a young man, could neither write nor dictate a coherent and well-worded letter, let alone dictate a book like the Book of Mormon. And though I was an active participant in the scenes that transpired, was present during the translation of the plates, and had cognizance of things as they transpired, it is marvelous to me, a marvel and a wonder, as much as to anyone else. My belief is that the Book of Mormon is of divine authenticity. I have not the slightest doubt of it. When acting as his scribe, your father, she was being interrogated by her son, would dictate to me hour after hour, and when returning after meals or interruptions, he would at once begin where he had left off, without either seeing the manuscript or having any portion of it read to him. This was an unusual thing for him to do. It would have been improbable that a learned man could do this, and for one so ignorant and unlearned as he was, it was simply impossible. And that was from a book called The Witnesses of the Book of Mormon by Preston Nipley. So Joseph Smith not only couldn't uh, dictate a, a well-worded letter on his own, let alone dictate uh, the entire Book of Mormon. I know that the Book of Mormon is truly the word of God. Verse 14, And thus prophesied Joseph, saying, Behold, that seer will the Lord bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. Even though they attempted to discredit Joseph Smith, they couldn't do it. For this promise which I have obtained of the Lord of the fruit of my loins shall be fulfilled. Behold, I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise. So this is one of those prophecies that's going to happen. Not, it's not conditional. And uh, verse 15, And his name shall be called after me, meaning Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father, or Joseph. Uh, now, the entomology of the name Joseph is usually given as the Lord addeth, or may God add, or increaser. Though appropriate, such renderings have veiled a richer meaning associated with the name. In Genesis 30, 24, where Rachel names her infant son Joseph, the Hebrew text reads Asaf, which means he who gathers, he who causes to return, or perhaps most appropriately, God gathereth. Thus, the great prophet of the restoration was given the name that most appropriately describes his divine calling. The prophet's father was the first to hold the office of patriarch in this dispensation. Such was his right by birth, he being the eldest man of the blood of Joseph, meaning that he was the oldest direct lineal descendant of Joseph of Egypt on earth at the time. How appropriate that the first patriarch or, head of, or prince of the tribe should bear the name of his ancient forefather who saw and prophesied of him. Continuing verse 15, and he shall be like unto me. In other words, he's going to be like a savior to the house of Israel. For the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people, meaning Ephraim and Manasseh, unto salvation. Yea, thus prophesied Joseph, I am sure of this thing, even as I am sure of the promise of Moses. For the Lord hath said unto me, I will preserve thy seed forever. And the Lord said, hath said, I will raise up a Moses, and I will give power unto him in a rod, and I will give judgment unto him in writing. Yet I will not loose his tongue, that he shall speak much, for I will not make him mighty in speaking. But I will write unto him my law by the finger of mine own hand, and I will make a spokesman for him. Verse 18, And the Lord said unto me also, I will raise up unto the fruit of thy loins, and I will make for him a spokesman. And he's talking here about Oliver Cowdery. And I behold, I will give unto him that he shall write the writing of the fruit of thy loins unto the fruit of thy loins, and the spokesman of thy loins shall declare it. Now, he's talking here about Oliver Cowdery initially, but when Oliver Cowdery uh, left the church, Sidney Rigdon then became the spokesman. 
Verse 19, and the words which he shall write shall be the words which are expedient in my wisdom should go forth unto the fruit of thy loins. And it shall be as if the fruit of thy loins had cried unto them from the dust, for I know their faith. So again, this is speaking out of the uh, about the Book of Mormon coming forth from the ground. Verse 20, and they shall cry from the dust, even yea, even repentance unto their brethren, even after many generations have gone by them. And it shall come to pass that their cry shall go, even according to the simpleness of their words. Because of their faith, their words shall proceed forth out of my mouth unto their brethren who are the fruit of thy loins. And the weakness of their words will I make strong in their faith unto the remembering of my covenant, which I made unto thy fathers. And now, behold, my son Joseph, after this manner did my father of old prophesy. Wherefore, because of this covenant, thou art blessed, for thy seed shall not be destroyed. For they shall hearken unto the words of the, of the book. And there shall, uh, there shall rise up one mighty among them who shall do much work, much good, both in word and in deed, being an instrument in the hands of God with exceeding faith to work mighty wonders and to do that which is great in the sight of God unto the bringing to pass much restoration unto the house of Israel and unto the seed of thy brethren. In other words, Joseph Smith, who may, may be one of the, the seven archangels spoken of in, Joseph, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, a dispensation head. He is the mighty and great one here that we're talking about. Verse 25, And now blessed art thou, Joseph, behold, thou art little. Wherefore, hearken unto the words of thy brother Nephi, and it shall be done unto thee, even according to the words which I have spoken. Remember the words of thy dying father. Amen. Now, I asked at the beginning, uh, if the Jews are waiting for anybody else besides uh, the Messiah, let me just read you a couple things here. Um, the first one is from the Encyclopedia Judaica Junior. So this is a Jewish tradition. It says, it says, according to the Talmud, the Messiah will be a descendant of the house of David and will be preceded by a secondary Messiah from the house of Joseph. And then another quote here from uh, Daniel Rona in the Book of Mormon Supplement Study Material. He says, when the chief rabbi Avram Hakohen Cook was appointed in Palestine in the 1920s, he was asked if the Jews could now build the temple, the one that was destroyed around 70 AD. His response was that the priestly rites were gone and referred to the great 12th century rabbi Moses Maimon, I don't know how to pronounce this, Maimonid, uh, whatever, Maimonides, that's probably not right. Anyway, this guy, this rabbi said, in effect, we are waiting for a Messiah Ben Joseph. To him will be given the keys of the gathering of Israel. He will restore temple worship. There is an abundant amount of imagery still existing in Judaism that can be interpreted as referring to a personal shield or protector. Jews wear garments that have four markings, the knotted strings on each corner of the talith. One of the fascinating things in Judaism is the repetitive keeping of customs even long after their meanings have faded. So uh, before I get into the rest of this, uh, so the Jews are waiting for a Messiah ben Joseph, just as they are waiting for a Messiah ben Judah, and that Messiah ben Joseph is the prophet Joseph Smith. When visiting the Western Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, you will see reminders of ancient temple worship. Men are on the one side and women on the other. Head covering is used and robes, or the talith, are placed on one shoulder and then another while certain words are recited. There is a sash or girdle tied with a bow on one side. Levites wear aprons. Some Jews still remove their shoes when approaching the wall. Small pieces of paper are placed between the cracks of the old temple wall stones with names written on them, names of people who require special blessings and prayers. There is a minimum of 10 who form a prayer circle or a minyan. 
so that prayers, readings of the scriptures, and instructions can be done. Someone is always at hand to assist the person reading or reciting to use correct intonations and to follow proper clothing and recitation procedures. And again, that was from Daniel Rona. So even though the Jews may be doing certain things at the temple wall, uh, they may not understand completely why. Uh, but when they join the church and go to the temple, then they find out why. I bear testimony of the truth of the prophet Joseph Smith, that he truly is a prophet of God, that he was the one through whom the gospel has been restored and the priesthood keys are upon the earth through him. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you like this episode, you can certainly share and make comments if you like. Thank you.